Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Sophia, and this week I'm delighted to be joined by Father Colin Parrish for an episode on evangelization. Father Colin, welcome to The Pilgrim Soul. Hey, it's good to be here. I'm excited to have you on today, especially because from the very first time that I met you, I've been moved by the way that you're constantly both a witness and a spiritual father to the people that you come across. And I think that the way that you really put your heart into play and your encounters with others is an example for me in my life of mission. So I'm grateful to have the chance to talk to you today about sharing the gospel and to bring your wisdom to our listeners. Awesome. Thanks, man. I'm super, super happy to be here. So I wish I could, we could just have a live show and just meet all the people that are listening. One day. So One day. That's the dream. Yeah. Well, to start us off, I was wondering if you'd tell us just a bit about who you are and what you do these days. Yeah. I'm Father Colin Parrish. You know, I'm from, born and raised in Seattle. So I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Seattle. So it means I'm like your kind of all-purpose general priest, uh, as it were. As far as priests are concerned, I'm like that brand that you find that's like stock at the (laughs) stores. You know, it's not like I don't have any special denominators or markings on me. I'm just, you know, it's just this detergent. (laughs) You know, that's that's the kind of priest that I am. And uh, I've been ordained for like three and a half years or so. I'm from Seattle. I'm actually from the city itself. So kind of like old Seattle, whatever that means now, I suppose, just means Seattle before everybody moved here from California for cheaper living and tech jobs. Yeah. And, uh, but you're, you're all welcome. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I was born and raised in a non-Catholic secular family, but was historically secular. Like my grandparents didn't practice any religion. Mm-hmm. My parents didn't either. However, my mom left her face. She was raised in a fundamentalist household in Texas in rural Colorado. But she had kind of let go of that by the time my parents were married. She would have considered herself at the time an atheist. But nonetheless, like a deeply questioning, longing, searching woman. Maybe that's how I would say, like, you know, she was spiritual but not religious, quote unquote. On the natural side, she had longing. And my dad was just kind of not even asking the questions. So I wouldn't consider him an atheist, just in kind of a general agnostic. But I got sent to Catholic schools, so... That's when I first started having these experiences of transcendent strangeness. And uh, it was a pretty attractive as a young kid. And then I ended up through a random series of not so random series of events converting when I was 19 in the military. I joined the Navy when I was 18. Mm-hmm. You know, like I had an experience of being human again through a friendship. And I realized that what made this man in front of me human was not himself. It wasn't up to his own devices. He, he had life and gusto and just vibrancy, as it were, in in a kind of a non-traditional form because he was Polish, so he was always depressed. And, uh, <laughs> but but, um, but you could see it, you could feel it coming out of him, you know, this kind of inner, you know, inner stability, inner life, mm-hmm. that he was fully himself with all of his suffering and all of his joy, right? And that I realized what made him human was... You know, it was a grace for me to recognize. I mean, it was a grace. This faith was a grace. It was just like, oh, crap. That's Jesus. This guy was like not lying to me. So I got jealous and I wanted that for myself. Yeah. And ended up converting. And then I spent the rest of military time trying to like, you know, grow up as best I could. Quickly perceived an inkling towards, not so much an inkling, a really like radical call towards the priesthood. Mm-hmm. 
entered seminary after right after the military and was there for like nine years in seminary. So philosophy degree, theology degree. Oh, right. College too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had to go go to college. It was great. Like my philosophy degree is like awesome. And then, uh, yeah, I was ordained in 2017 and I got stationed just as a vicar at a parish part-time and as a high school chaplain. Shout out to the kids that I was kind of with in that high school. They're awesome. And then, yeah, I got I got sent to my current parish, St. Anne's in Seattle. It's on Queen Anne Hill, right above Amazon. Oh, wow. Yeah, to start something new. So, And I've been in the movement for almost 15 years. So, yeah, I'm, I'm the Jasani groupie. So anybody who... You've drunk the Kool-Aid. Yeah, exactly. I drink that Kool-Aid every day. So call me later if you want the brainwash. I can set that appointment up. <laughs> we'll put your contact details available. No, I I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I think it sheds light on why one of the reasons you have such insight into evangelization is because of the way that your own encounter with Christ unfolded in this dramatic way. I mean, what you said about this Polish man who so witnessed to you the possibility that comes from a life lived with Christ. It reminds me of what John Paul II calls the eloquent language of a transfigured life, Mm. that that's one of the primary ways that the Lord reveals himself to people who don't know him yet, is in a more vibrant humanity, a more attractive way of living. So yeah, so that strikes me as a beautiful foundation for your own ministry as a priest. So I guess I would start by asking how you understand the content of missionary work. Like, what does it mean to be a missionary to bring the gospel to other people? So in my experience, after I became Catholic, I, I had this fiery nature about it in a good way. It also manifested in not so great ways at times, right? And I have to be apologetic to mm. those people that I kind of ramrodded. like Bulldozed. Into, yeah, bulldozed, right? And that's like, I wish I could have kind of inside view of that. And I think I have a certain extent. However, there's a lot of people that experienced a lot of grace through what happened to me through Christ. And, you know, I had four people become Catholic wow. of my friend group and then my parents as well. No kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I, that's how I know it was their charism there because it's like somehow these people forgave in the grace of everything, all of my foibles. And the, the reason why I think that I had such fire and I still do, even if it's maybe a little bit more contained and focused now is when one really feels themselves to be new, mm-hmm. right? To be a new creature that we get promised in baptism and that grows from the inside out over time as we mature. Just more and more, I realize that it's like, yeah, like God's presence and his grace, his energy, it changes me without destroying me. And it makes me more myself, but it also makes me a supra myself or super myself. Like there's a supernatural aspect to it. And to have such a, like a human life in both the really, really discouraging parts of existence to have this inner stability, this inner security, not because I know something in the sense of uh, I know what the equation is, but because there's a presence and to be in the joys of life, knowing that they're a promise of more. I just wanted that for others. There's a kind of a problematic statement, but I think it really points to a truth. Rescued people rescue people. Mm. That could be taken to this weird extreme, but, but there's a truth there, meaning like, Missionary life is nothing other than identifying within the context of relationship with everybody around you, the places where there's an injustice 
personal injustice in someone's heart and life where they have longing and the injustice being that maybe they've despaired of even identifying what that longing is or that it'll ever be answered and coming up alongside of that in your own little boat and just saying, Hey, if you want to follow me like this way, I can explicate to you. You don't have to, right? But Mm -hmm. here's another or, and let me be with you and just like come with me on this journey that takes you somewhere. And that that's radically attractive to people because it's still, it keeps their agency in play. And I think that's the biggest difference between evangelizing and proselytizing is that you actually a care about somebody you actually love them and that you're not proposing to fix them. Right. You're actually just proposing your own life, but in the process of proposing your own life, because you have Jesus in you, you're also proposing Christ. Hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think you've identified all of the essential elements there. I mean, it's beautiful how you began in baptism, right? In the new life that you experienced. It's precisely in having received the new life that God has in store for us and having recognized to our core the depth to which He loves us and makes us new, that we burn with a desire to bring this to other people. But then, as you said, it's not so much a proselytizing as You mentioned desire to share the rescue that you yourself have experienced. I've also heard the phrase, evangelization is one starving person telling the other where to find bread. Yeah. Right? So it's this fact that every single Christian, by virtue of the fact that they've been called by God to himself, are also called to share the good news that there is bread, bread that when we eat it, we're not going to hunger again. You know, we can constantly go back to that source. So we become companions, as you said, you know, the pulling your boat up alongside the other companions to destiny. I mean, I think that's beautiful and such a true and hopeful vision of what evangelization is. I think one thing that strikes me, I personally never felt called to be a missionary, but it was really in falling in love with Christ that this desire to share the truth was born in me. So it came definitely as a consequence to my encounter. But I think for me, one of the primary stumbling blocks to evangelization, to accepting my identity as a missionary has been from my sense of personal inadequacy. That like, who am I to share these words of eternal life with other people when I can barely, I mean, I don't live the Christian life in the way that I desire. You know, who am I to share this with others? So do you experience a similar tension? How have you seen that unfold in a way that becomes fruitful for other people instead of a stumbling block? Mm, totally. A couple things, you know, like one of the, the most attractive thing is to meet the person of Christ and to see, to see why he came. Like what is like the quote unquote kerygma, you know, some technical talk for missionaries, like proclaiming quote unquote the kerygma, which is just the great story of the creation of humanity, its uh, original need and this purpose, what happened with the fall, the breakdown, the Lord's kind of like insurrectionist rescue efforts, how Jesus came, who he really was, right? How that changed his friends and people around him. Mm. And then like how that crazy sacrifice and explosion onto the scene of like, not just a new humanity, but a humanity that becomes like God, right? It's spread throughout the world. 
one of the things that in all that story, as one learns it or hears it maybe for the first time, is, is the very real part about personal inadequacy. At the very beginning, the evil one essentially accused our natural incapacity as being something that should be shameful. Yeah. Human beings were essentially made just to be recipients of gift. We were made with an incapacity as built into our DNA, spiritually at least. And that was by design so that we could just have arms outstretched to receive things as gifts and beauty. And that somebody came in and said, no, that's actually shameful. The overturning of everything with Christ was like a restoration of our nature in that way, saying, no, our personal inadequacy is exactly the place where we need to live out of. It feels hard, and I don't want to minimize that. But at the same time, that's also a lie. Yeah, you're personally inadequate, but the lie is that you should feel shame. And so one of the first steps of a person recognizing the missionary or evangelical call is to become friends with their inadequacy. Hmm. You know, there's a, on page 54 of the journey to truth is experienced by this guy named Father Luigi Chassani. He has like a, a schema of experience, like a charting of experience. And he goes, he goes, what's the first thing we really need? And it's like a sympathy for our need, a love for our neediness, our brokenness, and our inadequacy. And the more we have this sympathy and this love for it, we come into a place of recognition that there's no one else that can answer that, but they're not bad. And that's what can allow me to actually really have true community and connection with any given human person, because that's part of us. And it's not something to be shamed. And it's from there that I need somebody to lead me into a place of more and more authenticity in that need, being more faithful to the need. And I start seeing that like that need, that inadequacy is the fuel for my begging. Yes. God, if you exist, I need something here. I think that if any given Christian experiences their own personal inadequacy, you know, maybe identified, is it technical? Like you don't feel like you got the words like, okay, well go do some reading, but also maybe rely on the words of your experience, maybe more primarily. Absolutely. And then allow each circumstance of feeling inadequate to be a, a generator, a provocation for you to like, be like, I don't know, let me go check that out. That's actually sometimes the most helpful words for somebody to hear. Like, oh, this person doesn't have it all together. Sweet. You're a human. You're a human. Yeah. And then on the other hand, there's also just the reality of the personal inadequacy. If you feel that a kind of an, a moral level or whatever, or at like a level of the heart, you know, hey, welcome to the club. The term I heard recently, which I really love because it both honors the fact that we have our own areas of discordance, but we also are made with a dignity. It was called imperfect authenticity. Mm. We're imperfectly authentic. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It reminds me really of, I guess, the most dramatic story of conversion in my own personal life is that of my dear friend in college who you, Father Colin, are familiar with. She grew up in China in an agnostic family and really encountered Christ during university at Notre Dame. And she told me later that one of the first things that struck her about Christianity was the way that we tried to love one another, even when we failed. And in particular, she pointed to the example of me trying and failing over and over again to love my siblings and my parents well, and being so distraught when I was selfish and a poor daughter and a poor sister. And 
that blew my mind because up until that point, I had kind of looked at her journey, her steps towards the church and said, okay, like she must be seeing something true and beautiful and that she wants for herself. And yes, that's true. But the way that that reached her was actually through my brokenness, through my inability to love, but my irreducible desire to do better and be better. And here it just reminds me, so the story that I always go back to to help me accept this deeply is the story of Peter on the shore of Tiberias Mm. after the resurrection, where Christ sits down next to him after breakfast and asks him three times, Simon, do you love me? Not Simon, are you sorry for betraying me three times? Simon, will you do better Simon, are you going to try harder? But Simon, do you love me? That that's the foundation on which the church was built. That is where the origin of the vocation comes from. So I can be a miserable sinner all I want, but so long as I keep my gaze fixed on him, aware of his mercy, my fact that I don't have my shit together is not an objection. Yeah. In that that image, when I encounter individuals that maybe have left the church or and just myself with my own my own sin, my own stuff, right? One of the things that I I always think about is the last thing that anybody wants to hear, myself included, is somebody coming up to me is like, okay, here's how you get fixed. Yeah. Here's the equation. And but that image of Jesus speaking to Peter that way, saying, like, I can love you in your betrayal. If your betrayal is like a foxhole that you made in the battlefield of your heart, let me just kind of come down into that foxhole with you. I want to love you. And that's so radical that it makes you want to come out of the foxhole. You walk out of the foxhole, all of a sudden you realize you're not in a battlefield, actually. You're you're in this really like verdant, beautiful, you know, yeah. scene. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know. And so this was here the whole time. <laughs> this is here the whole time. And uh we may have betrayed him at times, but we've never let him down. Hmm. The other thing that you kind of said that got brought up with our friend or a mutual friend, when you're talking about your foibles. This is a phrase from St. Paul, all things work to the good for those who love him, right? Even my inadequacies, as long as I'm trying to love, like, I want that love, I want to love him. He uses even my inadequacies for his own purposes. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it is striking. And I think gets at a really important aspect of evangelization that I think the culture and the church often get wrong, which is that. Christian mission, sharing the gospel, is not something that you have to go leave your everyday life to do. There are some people who are called to that, you know, go evangelize in some foreign land. As important as that is, all of us, all the baptized are called to evangelize exactly in the circumstances that we're facing. And we can bear any circumstance, you know, pandemic, lockdown, illness, whatever it is, whatever restriction we might think that we're facing, we can bear that with serenity and the confidence that we can still be a light to the nations as Christ calls us to be there. I mean, here I always think of the church's patron saint of missions is St. Therese, who was a cloistered nun. Yeah, dude. Oh my gosh. Okay, for our listeners, Father Colin is wearing a St. Therese shirt right now. So evidently I have struck a chord. She's my fave. Nice. She, she's, she's my bestie. Good choice. In my younger, more imprudent self, I used to call her my dead girlfriend. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's hilarious. But she's a good one to choose, right? Because, you know, she 
shows us what our vocation is, which is to love and to bear witness to Christ, and that this can unfold in whatever circumstance we're facing. So I guess with that in mind, what would you recommend for Christians who are facing maybe an ordinary nine to five or just their families or especially with the pandemic, a limited set of circumstances and yet have this passion to share the gospel? How, how can they live that well? Mm, yeah. Just remember that if you're a person who's like really given Christ everything, there's a line for the catechism that says the moral life is spiritual worship. Mm. If you imagine yourself like a temple, essentially the dwelling place of God, which you are, right? Leaning into that relationship, constantly crying out for him. And that kind of authenticity or imperfect authenticity of being with him, that itself speaks a lot, Mm -hmm. right? If you perceive there needs to be more explicit for someone or some situation, that's super beautiful. It might be a movement of the Holy Spirit. Ask the Lord, like, well, if I'm supposed to give witness to you, what is the context and the contour and the contrasting words that I need that are going to really bring hope and encouragement to this person or this circumstance? And it could be with your kid who's being a jerk face because they don't know any better because they're young or something like that. And you're just like, you know, how do I love them with a father or mother's heart right now? What's the sacrifice I need to make for them of myself to if I'm in a workplace situation where Maybe my, I've spent like 10 hours working with pipettes going from one little tube to the next. I don't know if you know. <laughs> Targeting <that>. me. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, and maybe the thought comes to you. I feel isolated now. I wonder what my confreres feel if they're isolated because they're stuck in their dark boxes too. Right. And you say, hey, like, let's go get a drink. You know, these are super practical and very human ways of developing this kind of relationship because the last thing I'll say about it is this is that I always think that at a certain point words are necessary to give people vocabulary for their experience like some point you're going to have to talk about Jesus at some point yeah I'm not actually a fan of that say you know like preach always but seldom use words I think that's total bullshit at times I agree (laughs) and it's St. Francis never said it I don't know who said it anyway so but Before words are used, right, maybe to kind of hone in on part of that statement as a truth, before words are used, your life and your heart and how you live in your circumstance as a redeemed creature communicates the divine life. You are an emissary or you're like an embassy of another country dwelling here. And like when you're walking past, if it's a cold winter day and you happen to be walking past this embassy that has a window open, you can feel the heat coming out of it. And you're like, man, I just need to get warm. Yes. You know, that's what it's like for people. Yes. That's evangelization. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And it strikes me that the way that you depicted mission really shows us that Mary is our model here Mm. because she was the first tabernacle of the presence of Christ in this world. And what did she do in response to the angel's announcement, but remain in silence and patience for those nine months? And she went to go be with Elizabeth, right? Not to go fix her problems, not to go start planning a political revolution, but to be with her and to proclaim her Magnificat, as you said, she did express in words what was happening to her, but throughout Christ's childhood retained in the silence of her heart the mysteries that were happening to her, but confident in her faith in the one who had promised 
her that this reality would be unfolding. This is the pattern that we should all bear in our lives. And, And the way that that unfolds often when we're facing limited or restricted circumstances, as you pointed out, it often occurs in the first place through our own work of daily conversion in the faith that our own heart, that is the first mission territory. You say you're a missionary in your own damn town. Like, we're all missionaries of our own damn hearts. Yeah. And this this is what sets us free. If our heart is the starting point, then the value of my evangelization in the workplace or as a missionary to China, the value of that is independent from what I think the visible results are. Because no matter what failures I come across, no matter how many times they throw me out of the pub for talking about Jesus, I've still grown to know Christ a bit better. His life is still growing in me like it did in Mary. Yeah, so I think this is a really helpful way to think about evangelization when we're facing circumstances that maybe don't allow us to proclaim as we'd want to what the Lord has done for us in his truth and his beauty. But that makes me wonder, you know, who evangelizes you if you go forth every day in your parish and on the streets and evangelize others? What is it that nourishes the wellspring of that encounter with Christ? Who who helps you in your daily conversion of the faith? Oh, man. I have a whole system of friends who I seek belonging with because there is Sometimes there's just their simple presence. Sometimes their words of challenge and also words of encouragement are the things that bring me back to myself and my need. I'm a supremely abstract dude. Like I live in my head so easily. Same. <laughs> I, I do a freaking future trip every five minutes. It's a curse. Yeah. It's a curse, you know. And to have somebody, I'm reminded of this really weird passage from Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel 16 is an allegory for the history of Israel about how the Lord loves Israel. One of the things he says is grow in your blood, like grow in your circumstance because I'm present. Mm. Right. Yes. This image of blood is like the nefesh is like life. Like who gave you that life grow where I'm present. I'm your life. And so for me, like my friends challenge me in their presence of love makes me, obedient to them in a certain sense. Yeah. Where I'm like, dude, I I need to be returned to my desire. It's so easy to like suppress or to ignore or to avoid, especially avoid for me, avoid the need of my heart in front of life. God speaking through my friends says, grow in your need, grow in your desire. I have a couple people who are more mentor figures for me, I suppose, that I follow. And and who are super different from me. Like there's like this like 55 year old woman who's like my mom, right? <laughs> I have nothing in common with her, right? But she's like- Except Christ. Yeah, yeah, except Christ, you know? And, you know, she taught me everything. Wow. So. That's beautiful. And I think it gets to the fact that each of us, each of the baptized is called to be a missionary, but not to be an individual missionary in isolation, that we as the church bear witness to Christ and bring him to all places. So it's, in some senses, we have to be purified and taught and nourished by the companionship of believers if our missionary work is going to bring people to Christ instead of to us. Yeah, I think that's a dynamic that I encounter a lot, this 
war between what my work is in this situation, what my goals are, my problems, and my plans for bringing the gospel to other people versus what the Lord wants in his time. You mentioned companionship. I agree that's a really key part of redirecting my gaze in these situations. I think another one, of course, is prayer, is, as you mentioned previously, actually going in front of the Lord and placing these desires for mission and evangelization at his feet and saying, Lord, do with it what you will, you know, do with it what you will. It occurs to me that like, if it was my own work, nothing would happen because I can't even save myself. So, so it's constantly going back to that position of begging at his feet that I get the strength again and the desire again to share my passion for his glory. But I'm wondering if you would circle back to something that you mentioned towards the beginning of our podcast. You said that evangelization doesn't take away the agency of the person in front of you because it's not proselytizing, but freely proposing the fact that Christ Mm -hmm. is present and that he loves this person. So it strikes me that to have that respect for the person's freedom requires a real poverty of spirit. So would you speak a little bit about how to cultivate this respect for the freedom of the other? Yeah. Honestly, like evangelization takes friendship. Yeah. And barring like extraordinary circumstances where the friendship is given on this crazy level, I think of like St. Francis Xavier going to India and it's just these people are like, you know, he's not really representative of a, for example, a colonialist project at that point. He's like in the middle of freaking nowhere. And he's just this priest, this Jesuit priest. And people are just, they perceive something. They feel this affinity and affection for this guy that they can't explain. And they just are just bringing children to the point where when he died, one of his relics is literally his right forearm, right? Like we severed his forearm because it baptized like 300,000 people. Oh my gosh. You know, it is because we're Catholic and that's awesome. And that's super funny and amazing. And barring that kind of exceptional circumstance, which I still think has the imprint of, of friendship in it because he just wanted to be with these people and love them. And they perceived this love and they just, they felt seen by him in a way that maybe they hadn't felt before. Yeah. I kind of bring up the colonialist aspect there because I think it's a big, important conversation that we're having. And especially with the, this year marks the 500th anniversary of Christianity entering the Philippines. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So they have, they were supposed to have huge celebrations, but freaking COVID, you know, but they had to do their own work distinguishing between what it was colonialism and what was authentic. What was somebody's kind of materialistic project versus what was authentic? I think that's actually kind of a beautiful thing for an individual to think about for ourselves, is like in our evangelization, right? As the way of a examination of conscience, the minute that I'm trying to fix the problem or the minute I'm trying to make myself feel justified, mm. like this is the thing that's going to make me good. You know, you just need to back that up a little bit. And um, I really think it comes down to an affection for the person and a friendship with the person and to love what they love or to at least come to a sympathy and an understanding for it. You know, one of my favorite, if I can tell a story about it. Please. So there's this goth band that I like, which I'm not a goth, right? I'm in the hardcore scene. I was in the (laughs) hardcore scene. I like loud, angry music. That's like my jam. And, um, this is before pandemic, you know, God, I want to come back to live shows. I long for live shows. It's an unfulfilled desire. 
I know. I just want to go hug strangers and just embrace <laughs> them as we're listening to music. So I went to the show. It's this band called Choir Boy. He's a gay lapsed Mormon. And I love his music. And I can't listen to it too much because existentially, because he gets a little bit too downy, a little bit too much of a downer. But I, I just love it. I didn't know when I was listening to this synth wave music that this was actually a goth band. Like I, maybe I should have been more aware of this. I was never in the goth scene. So he was coming into town to play the show. It's like, oh, sweet. I can go to the show. It's like around like 7 p.m. Like that's enough time after mass for me to on a Saturday evening to get to see him. So I didn't change my clothes. You know, I just went to this venue that I, I usually go to. Actually, it's like a country bar. It's kind of funny. And uh, I walk in. I don't have my collar in. I walk in with my backpack. In your blacks? My blacks. And everybody else is in black. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, shit. I'm in a goth scene right now, right? And I'm like, I'm really playing the part. This is great. And um, like, I did not stand out. My buddy came with me and he was wearing his like normal clothes. He was the guy who stood out in this whole crowd, right? So anyway, I walk in, I, I put my backpack down by the stage and there was a group of dudes that were standing there. After the choir boy show, so good, you know, so good. I put my backpack and I just told the guys, hey guys, can you watch my bag? And my, it has my computer in it and all this stuff. Like, I, apparently, I'm just reckless. Mm, trusting. It's very trusting. It's like, I just need to get a beer. Right? And they're like, cool. So they watch my bag come back. And I start talking. They're like, who'd you come to see? And they're like, choir boy, we love him. He's the best act. You know, they're all like with eyeliner and shadow, these dudes. Yeah, yeah. And we start to talk. And he's like, I'm just asking where they're from originally. Like, what do you do? And they get to me. And they're like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a Roman Catholic priest. And they're like, uh, oh, okay. like what anyway so there, like there's a secular jew and it's surrounded by like six hardcore lapsed atheist catholics oh wow they were like hardcore atheists which is super funny so he started talking and i was just like we were just talking about this music and whatever and through just the course of being friends and being together in something that we both love and have sympathy for you know, these guys kind of revealed like, well, we're not actually epistemic atheists. We're more, we're probably more agnostic. We just wanted to piss <laughs> you off. And by the end of the night, they were calling me father. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, and, and they're just good to, you know, so I mean, like, in just building that trust, you know, and coming into this friendship and sympathy, maybe as an illustration. Yeah. That's a really striking image. A hilarious one of you showing up in your blacks. But I really like that you shared that story because I think it gets at, to your point also about colonialism, authentic evangelization is not making the person in front of you turn into yourself. Yeah. But it's also not making yourself into the person in front of you. It's this third road that I think is hard to walk down and the church has gotten it wrong and I personally have gotten it wrong. But it's this third road of being the means through which God generates an encounter with Christ from within. Yeah. From within. Yeah. And that's beautiful because that means that no one is off limits, that there's no context, there's no people, there's no tradition that the Lord cannot reach. That doesn't, of course, as you said before, the desires of our heart that point to Christ, those are universal. There's not a single person on this planet that doesn't have a religious sense that's yearning for that. Yeah. And so I think with this in mind, it casts out fear that we might otherwise experience or uncertainty or isolation even. Because with this gaze on other people, you see them not as 
opponents ideologically or religiously or otherwise, but as fellow children of God who are yearning for the same thing you are. People with longing. Exactly, exactly. People with longing, the same damn longing I got. Yes, yes, that we all have the same heart. That's a beautiful place to start wrapping up our podcast, although I would love to talk to you for the rest of the day about mission and evangelization. We are getting close to the end of our time here. But with this in mind, this sense of our responsibility and our desire to share the good news of Christ's presence with all people who long for him, what is it that you would recommend as a weekly challenge for our listeners so that they can implement this in their own lives? Yeah, the one is to identify, to like journal, to write down, to pray, to identify this week, what is that place of need that I have? Make it really concrete. Like for this week, what's the really big need I have for this week? And then make one that's a little bit more historic. Like what's that historic need that doesn't go away for me? My proposal for for our friends that are listening who would identify as uh, agnostic or a different religion or something like that, you know, and I say this with total reverence and obviously the ball's in your freaking court, you know, you're just listening to me. Um, Anyway, just especially for Catholics as well as just say like, God, if you exist, speak to me about this need. Mm-hmm. How do you want to fulfill it? Affirm the truth of this need in me. You know, because sometimes I think we can feel isolated in our needs. And I think that's applicable to everybody. We can come to skepticism around our own desire and our need. Mm-hmm. I have a hope and a desire that no one ever experiences that, you know. The other one would be, if you're a Catholic, that's really looking to be that presence Ask the Holy Spirit to identify one person or group of people that you're friends with and ask him to help you develop love and affection and sympathy for what they have love and affection and sympathy for. And then from there, one next question would be, Lord, how do you want your presence to show up in their need through me? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, beautiful food for thought and for prayer that I'll definitely take you up on this week. Another thing we like to do for our listeners every week is to offer a recommendation of media, a book or music or a film that points to some of the truths we've been discussing in our episode. Do you have something that you'd like to share? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I've been thinking about this one for a little bit. There's this band I love called Proto Martyr. It's kind of a post-hardcore. Like I kind of got out of the hardcore scene a little bit. They diversified a tad. Joe Casey is the lead singer. Joe Casey is like a 40-something-year-old guy surrounded by a whole bunch of 20-something-year-old musicians in their band, you know, and he just croons away like an old disgruntled man who's super lovable in his disgruntled crooning nature. And I really love this band, Protomart, because Joe Casey thinks a lot. There's a song called Pontiac 87 from the album Agent Intellect. I encourage people to look up the lyrics uh, as well. It really shows like this, even after a really difficult spiritual circumstance, the fact that the heart does not go away, the heart and the need does not go away. Yeah. You know, and the second song uh, is This Must Be the Place by the Talking Heads. Okay. David Byrne, the lead singer, he just, he was falling in love during a period of time and he just wrote down journal notes about what it felt like. And he just took these individual little snippets of his experience of falling in love and what he was saying to himself. 
And he just smashed them together just line by line. Almost these kind of non sequitur affirmations of longing and the beauty of the, of the human heart. Ah, oh, you know, it's like so good. So thank you. I am excited to listen to these and to see, as you clearly have experienced in your own life, the universality of the desire for Christ manifest in these places as well, which I will admit are not places that I typically look for that desire. Yeah, no one does. So. No, that's my job. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm that guy that kind of hangs out on the periphery and just. I love it. <laughs> waves at people. Well, so. thank you, Father Colin, for the recommendations and for your presence with us today and for these words that you've shared with us. I know that they will enrich my gaze on my colleagues when I go to work tomorrow and those that I pass in the street and at mass and with this awareness that by virtue of my baptism, I am tasked with proclaiming the event of Christ, the presence of Christ, who loves these people more than I ever could. So to all of our listeners, I would just say that I'm praying for you this week, that you too might experience the beauty of going on mission and being evangelized yourself as you go on mission. Yeah. Amen. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be back next week with another episode of The Pilgrim Soul. Ciao, y'all.